Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit that. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> Get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another spookerific episode of Fanholes Comics. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek. Derek WC. I'll be one of your spooky dooky hosts for this evening, and I am joined together tonight by. Three, count them, three of my fellow symbiotic, otic fan holes. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, it's Mike, and I am a lethal protector. We are Justin, and we want to eat your brains. Hey, guys, this is Tony, and uh, yeah, I could totally like turn into the Predator if I'm like bored. <laughs> All right, so if you if you haven't figured it out, Two things are going on. Well, no, I think I think three things are really going on tonight. But the first thing is we're doing a Venom-themed episode. The second thing is we're tying in to the Venom feature film release from Sony Pictures, which, if all goes as planned, you will be listening to this podcast as the film premieres October 5th, 2018 in the U.S. And the third thing is... This is the beginning of an all-new month-long Fanholes Fright Fest. And what we like to do in that is focus on scary, spooky-dooky stuff. And what is more spooky-dooky and scarier than, than a huge, crazy, alien symbiote that is... And it is a symbiote. It's not a symbiote, despite what Canadian voice actors and stupid fucking films think all across the world. Maybe maybe they're they're just promoting like a cereal. Symbiote. Symbiotes. Symbiotes. Sit down and eat some yummy symbiotes. They're symbiote-licious. Anyway, so, so we are discussing some Venom-themed comics tonight. We have four fan holes in total, and we have four Venom comics in total, and we are going in chronological order. So the first comic up in the chronology is going to be a comic that Tony brought for this evening, and I'm going to have Tony tell us what comic book he brought and kind of go into it, and we'll discuss it, and then we'll move on to the other comics for the evening. So take it away, Tony Jackson. Basically, uh, I picked an older, I guess you would say, Venom story. This is Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man, number 347. It was released in May 1991, and it's got the ominous title of The Boneyard Hop. 
This is a kind of interesting little story. It was written by Devin Michelini, penciled by Eric Larson, actually one of my favorite Spider-Man artists. I always have been a big fan of him. You know, just for random stuff, the anchor is Randy Emberlin. Basically, we're gonna jump into this. This is actually part of a two-part story, but you can jump into this pretty easily because Spider-Man wakes up and beforehand he had been assaulted by Venom and he wakes up on a desert island. And basically, our plan from our good guy, Eddie Brock, the lethal protector, well, not so much yet, he's still very much a bad guy, is his biggest problem is when he fights Spider-Man, someone always interferes, either on his behalf or not intentionally. Spider-Man takes advantage of that and manages to defeat his one of his most like lethal foes haha uh, whatever but anyway so venom has had this plan in line to where he has all the knowledge of this island and it was abandoned it's not really close to shipping lanes but kind of close spoiler and he's going to take advantage of this playground to assault our good boy peter and he does so pretty much you know kind of the most deadly game kind of thing he almost toys with them at some points it's kind of an interesting take on Venom to where he is almost relentless. And we see that in his early days, this does change as the character grows, kind of grows. But Peter does seem to be at his wit's end. And at various points, we have interludes with Mary Jane and her nephews, and she snaps at them right before she goes to smoke a cigarette. But don't, don't worry, she quits later on because cancer is bad. She didn't smoke, I'm sorry, but that was just a funny story. You know, she, she's on edge because Peter is missing. Then we also go to other characters like Felicia Hardy, who, even though she's broken up with Peter, is now dating Flash Thompson. And she's trying to call, quote-unquote, Spider. And she knows his real identity. But she has her own life to lead, and she's going to go to the concert of Flash Thompson. And then we see, finally, Aunt May. And she's watching TV with Willie Lumpkin. Did you guys forget that? Aunt May dated Willie Lumpkin for a minute. Oh, that was a thing. But she also trusts Spider-Man. She trusts Peter. She's, that's her nephew. He, he's, he's fine. It basically culminates with, to tease my earlier kind of joke, quote-unquote, Venom basically doesn't, I don't know, have new powers, but his powers are progressing or they're evolving. He can make himself seem like he's a watery foe. He can blend into the, the terra firma and be a part of the the plant life, you know, kind of like a predator. You know, he has camouflage abilities. And he's doing a pretty good number on old Pete. So eventually Peter has to outsmart Venom because Venom is stronger. He has more powers, but Peter is faster and he is more quick in his mental processes. I, I said smarter, but he's not. Venom's not smarter. He is stronger. And Basically, it comes down to brains over brawn. So Spider-Man hooks up his own trap. Venom does fall for it for a minute. Doesn't go the way he plans, so he comes up with a better plan. He wants Peter dead, and that's the crux of the story. If Peter can get him to think he's dead, then he gets to get away. And he does that. He basically plants a seed in Venom's mind as he's being chased, Venom throws a car at Spider-Man after he's thrown, after he's picked up a lighted piece of kindling from his bonfire. 
hits the blighted porch. Everything blows up because apparently they were on a mining colony. That's the haha, like, oh, that's why it's abandoned story. And that's why there's no close shipping lanes. But they were close enough to pass by Peter the next morning after Venom has thinking he has succeeded in his quest. He has killed the spider. And it's kind of a poignant ending because Peter's, you know, got a towel around him on this shipping vessel after treading water for hours. And I'm like, I don't know. I know Spider-Man is tough, but swimming is hard. And treading water for hours seems almost out of his ability, but whatever. It's, it's just a story. But Eddie Brock is happy. He's, he's killed the spider. And Peter is happy because he thinks he's fooled Venom and he doesn't have to deal with him anymore. And it's kind of a bittersweet ending because you're like, oh, is Venom ever going to... Come on, he's going to come back. Don't be stupid. But I, I did like this kind of story of Venom and Spider-Man one-on-one because that did happen early on when Venom first appeared. But there did begin to be a trope where... Spider-Man almost seemed to be helped out to defeat Venom or it was by luck or by chance. And this he actually got to outsmart him and he actually did a good job of it. And it's a simple story. It's nothing that is going to be life-changing for you, but as far as a fun-packed action romp, a really simple read, you could rate it in like five minutes, not even ten minutes. I enjoyed it. The art's really good. I know some people hate Eric Larson's like Venom, where he's got teeth everywhere. I think sometimes that really does get over the monstrosity of Venom. And even Peter says, like, you know, are you just trying to, like, gross me out with, like, your gums flapping all the time? And, you know, there's a lot of good interplay. So I, I think this is a very, not groundbreaking issue, but a really good Venom issue. It really does show what Venom can do. He can be a pretty, you know, tough villain to overcome. So... In my eyes, with Eric Larson's run, with David Michelini writing it, and just a, a, a fun story, yeah, I, I, I think this was a, a good outing. You know, it was like, so what, what do you guys think of it? This is this is actually one of the earliest Venom stories I ever read. Like, I, I had a trade, which I think the trade was just titled Venom Returns. And it was kind of like an orange cover, and I think it's in storage now, but it was mostly like the Eric Larson tales of Venom. And this and like sort of like the, the, the few Eric Larson tales that he told before this, where I think like it was like Peter fighting Venom and then Stick and Stone like showed up and Stick like used his like death touch on Venom symbiote and then they thought it was dead, but it wasn't. And then I, I forgot. And then it, it sort of it leads into this, I believe, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Like, they, they reference sticks and stone. Yeah. Yeah. And like, but I, I just remember this being like the climax to the trade where, yeah, like Venom kidnaps Peter and puts him on the desert island and, you know, yeah, plays like the deadliest game with him, basically. And, you know, like, I guess it's it's like it's 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 nostalgic to me but like i guess like i i look at it and i see the flaws in the story nowadays and like i'm i i don't know like maybe i'm maybe i'm being like you know bitter or bratty about it but i'm just kind of like like i i I, it's kind of like you look back at something and you're like why did i think this was cool and like (laughs) i I, like I, i still I still like 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 it like from a purely like nostalgic like point of view where this was like one of the first trades I ever got, but 
I, I don't know. Like, uh, part of me is also I, I, like, I, I was 14. That's why I like it. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I, I was kind of like, like, I mean, like David Michelini is pretty like prolific in terms of writing Spider-Man. Like, I think he's like probably like third or fourth in line with most Spider-Man stories ever written by a single like author. But I don't know. Like, I feel like at this point he was like, kind of like getting sick of Venom or at least getting sick of Eddie Brock at, at least. Cause I don't know, like, this was the point where they were trying to, like, you know, soften Venom's image, so it's kind of like, like, you know, Peter's all like, oh, he brought us to this desert island, so he can't, like, or, or Venom is like, I brought you to this desert island, so we won't hurt any innocents. Like, isn't that swell of me? I'm such a swell guy. Like, <laughs> and, like Yeah, I was like, since when? Like, who cares? Like, I, I don't know, but I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I see what you're saying, because it's been, I mean... Seriously, like, it's been, like, 20, what, five, six years since I've read this? Like, I mean, it's been a really long time. And I think, like, I I get what you guys are saying about, you know, kind of reading this with the vantage point. Like, because I was buying this off the stands. I mean, I was going to the comic shop every, you know you know, Thursday or Wednesday, whatever comic day was back then, you know, and, and getting the new comics. And this was something that I always bought, you know, and, and, and I think the Venom issues were always special, you know, because, you know, it, he was always considered, you know, if you read any of those like old, you know, comic book ads, you know, when you had mail away stuff, it would always be like featuring Venom hot. He was the new hotness. Yeah. 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 Hotness. It was always, it was always featuring Venom. You can only buy like only five copies of this because it's so hot. We can't sell more than five to you or whatever, you know, like all this ridiculous shit that was the hype at the time. And, and Venom had tons and tons of hype. The, the things that come to mind when I'm reading this is, I guess I am one of those guys that abhors the gigantic teeth and slimy tongue version of Venom and the the kind of frenetic kind of eyes that he has and all that stuff. And it's like, I get it because I've, you know, I've read all the Eric Larson interviews where he said he hated Venom. He thought it was stupid. Spider-Man's clothes come back to get him. And, and I kind of can see in hindsight, like, how much... Like, you were saying that David Michelini was getting tired of, of writing Venom, but, like, I, I kind of feel like... Eric was getting Eric, tired of drawing Eric, Eric Larson never liked drawing Venom. You know, and and, and, and that kind of comes across when you read this, because it's like, they, you know, he, he's trying to do everything he can, like, not to draw traditional Venom. Like, where it's like, he his jaw seems basically inhuman. Unhand. You know, yeah. like, and and then, you know, the, the whole Predator gag, you know, where he... He is underwater and, and, you know, basically looks like translucent Venom or whatever, which might make for a neat action figure variant. But uh, otherwise, you just get the idea that, you know, Larson just hates drawing this character. And, and just to make it interesting for himself, he makes the character look really I think more grotesque than he was ever intended to be. And I, I guess, you know, like, I don't know. It's, it's funny. Cause I, I think in some ways, like, there is that, that little, like Tony was saying, you know, the 13, 14-year-old kid that has a strong proprietary sense of ownership with Venom, like, because Venom was created, like, on my watch, so to speak, you know, and, and right. at the time, you know, he was a quote-unquote, you know, cool, you know, K-E-W-L, new hotness character, and at some point, I mean, I really kind of rejected that whole 90s, you know, new 
character. You know, I, I, I was, you know, I, I've been highly critical of Venom. I mean, I kind of think that, you know, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I mean, I think this whole thing that it led into, you know, the, the maximum carnage and then springing into Venom, getting his own series and, and Spider-Man making a truce with him. Like, I kind of feel like that destroyed Spider-Man as a character for me, just the fact that he would do that. So, like, I have a lot of mixed feelings about it, but for this particular yeah. issue, I mean, you know, I get that it's part of a multi-part storyline, but like Tony says, I mean, this is perfectly accessible if you haven't read the other parts. It, it feels like almost, you know, yeah, it's kind of in medias reyes, you know, like Spider-Man wakes up on the island and it's like, what's going on? But it kind of brings you up to speed pretty quickly and you, you basically feel like you've read a complete story. You know, yes, Peter Parker gets to use his brain and be clever, but then there's that part of me in the back of my head thinking, oh, you know, people growing up reading this that read this got used to Spider-Man having no spider sense with Venom around because he wore the alien costume for so long. And it, it makes me think of things that, like, this is why other dummies write Spider-Man and there is no spider sense. You know, like, at all. It's like a snowman could creep up behind Spider-Man and he wouldn't recognize it. And it's like, in this instance, in this era, the the whole point was this was really bad because... Venom was one of the only guys that, I mean, yeah, there, there were times when, like, Green Goblin would, like, you know, have pumpkin bombs that would negate his sp spider, spider sense, sense yeah. for a little while, or Mysterio's gas or something like that, some excuse that they would use to dull his spider sense, but, but this was the first time it was kind of natural where it's just, oh, sorry, Venom just doesn't trigger the spider sense, and there's, you know, three or four instances where Venom, you know, either through, you know, chameleon ways or what have you, you know, basically sneaks up on Spider-Man, and that that's not something that happened very often, you know, growing up reading Spider-Man. Like, Spider-Man had Spider-Sense. You do not sneak up on Spider-Man. And that's something that made, you know, Venom pretty special, and it comes across well in here. And, and, and Peter actually mentions that at one point. He's like, he always finds me. Yeah, yeah. And and, and so, there, like, that aspect, you know, there, there's fun stuff about this. I, I kind of feel like, even though I grew up, during this era and reading this, like reading this in hindsight, like 20 something years later, I, I kind of feel like when I would read an old Jerry Conway or Stan Lee written Spider-Man story and you'd see like all these references where like Spider-Man would be like, boy, you know, me and MJ just came back from watching Star Wars for the fifth time or whatever, <laughs> you know, and there's like all these topical references. And what's kind of funny is there's all these gags because they're on a deserted island about Gilligan's Island, which is probably heavy in syndication rotation at the time, which I kind of find amusing. And then this is something I was going to ask Justin was, have you ever heard of the band that Flash and uh, uh, Felicia are going to see that Flash got tickets for? Like um, they're, they're, it's called Hypno Love Wheel. Like I had to look no. it up because I was like, I was like, is that a real band? And I'm like, it is a real band. So it's like, it's like if I look on Wikipedia, hmm. it's like, Hypno Love Wheel was an American indie rock band from Long Island. Despite positive critical reviews, the band's albums were never particularly successful, and the band split in 1993. So it's like, 
I don't know, two, two years, years later, later <laughs> there was no hypno love wheel. So it's like, damn it, like Flash and Felicia, if, if they had only gone to more concerts, maybe hypno love wheel would still be alive today, you guys. It's their fault. It's it's all their fault. Like hypno love wheel should get his toe stubbed and like get a symbiote and go after the both of them for, for breaking them up or whatever. See, we can I, have like we can have like four more new symbiotes for no reason. I, I will give Eric Larson credit on one thing. He does draw a really wackadoo venom and yeah, green slime and, and unhinged jaw and, like, some really crazy stuff. But there is one panel, one small panel, and it's after he thought he killed Spider-Man. He's kind of digging through the remains. And it is almost a spot-on Todd McFarlane venom. He's got, like, just a smile. And he's actually in decent proportions. And I was like, man, if you just drew him like that all the time, that would be awesome. And I love Eric Larson. I, I like the panel where he's actually by the bonfire, like where he's basically, you know, yeah. essentially he's naked, but, you know, you could see the With shadow the of the him. alien costume behind him. Like that's that's a pretty good panel as far as Venom goes. I, I, I will give it up. Like, I, I don't know how you guys feel about this. And I'm sure some people, you know, that are have their their heart on about how uh, women are sexualized in comics. But what, what I think is kind of hilarious is like Mary Jane's like in pittsburgh to like so she won't get you know assaulted or anything by venom like peter sent her away so that she's out of danger but i'm like i I love how like mary jane's in like basically a snow coat and she still looks like super hot like even like she's basically covered up but like she still looks pretty hot so like and and yeah. i think that's kind of funny and then and then of course felicia kind of is Eric in her always drew a really good mary jane yeah. yeah felicia hardy's kind of in her skin tight party dress so then people can get all you know butthurt about that or whatever but like i i, I thought eric larson always drew like a you know what kind of you know nice sexy ladies and stuff like that and it, it is kind of funny though checking in on these little B and C subplots, you know, like it's funny that Tony mentioned the smoking because this is kind of before that, but you, you kind of felt like there were this, this is the point where like the honeymoon period was over and Spider-Man and Mary Jane weren't like, you know, knocking boots every, you know, B and C subplot, whatever, while, while he wasn't off being Spider-Man like that, that it was like, she's in danger or she's got some modeling thing or some acting thing. And then, you know, eventually then it turned into like Tony was saying the whole, you know, she's, she, you know, gets addicted to cigarettes and we're gonna we're gonna show the kids that it's bad and apparently that didn't work for shit with tony because you know he's 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 smoking away as we speak so you know that 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 lesson did not (laughs) that lesson did not did not uh land with with tony jackson no no it struck me like reading like that you like you said that mary jane scene is like I feel like that was super underused that like, oh, yeah, like Peter and MJ have like, you know, like a, like a niece and a nephew like are, you know, they 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 have like Mary Jane's like f- family, basically. Like, I know, like there was, there was some, some stuff with her father where her father was like a criminal or something. And then they eventually like reconcile. Do, but do I, was I like, oh, yeah, Mary Jane. You know why that is? Because because cousin Christy fucked it up for all the extended <laughs> family. Like, she showed up, she was super annoying, had freckles, and was super, super annoying, and everybody wanted to kill her, so these poor kids... she went away forever, yeah. And Mary Jane's sister, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, poor... I'm like, like, poor Tommy and Kevin Watson did not get the time of day after that, because, you know, 
because cousin Christy fucked it up for everybody. I think that's that's whose fault <laughs> it was. Then, and then the other subplot that like and Tony had a good chuckle about it, but I guess this is what post Nathan Lubinsky passing away. So now Aunt May is like hooking up with Willie Lumpkin. It's like, dude, does Aunt May get around? Or does Aunt May get around? I mean, for a ninety year old lady who's always about to have a heart attack, she sure has a lot of old old school boyfriends, right? You know. I guess so. Yeah. She's hot to trot, man. I'm, I'm all, I'm all good for you, Aunt May. Like, you know, she's the next thing you know, she can be the golden oldie and dating Fire Lord and shit. You know, like we don't, we don't know what's gonna happen next. No, no, it also like bothers me. Like after reading this again, and is like again, like I, I feel like David Michelini was kind of like I don't know, just getting sick of writing Venom stories, and I'd like the ending to this is just bizarre to me now because it's like Eddie Brock, like turns like his symbiote into like a floral sun print like <laughs> dress or something and then he's like let's just now that we've killed spider-man like let's just stay on this island forever and i'm like wait <laughs> what like well like, okay I, I feel like the symbiote wouldn't agree to that where it doesn't like th- doesn't the symbiote need adrenaline to like live and stuff like uh i don't know hey he's he's jogging across the beach he's got adrenaline look i think you're exaggerating like yes <laughs> Yes, he's got flowers on his little tank top because he's happy now. But it's not—it's not a dress. It's just a flowery, happy he's tank top. He's wearing shorts. <laughs> yeah, he's got—he's got shorts on. It's not—it's not—it's not quite. He, it's not like—it's not like he turned into a Clinger from Mash all of a sudden <laughs> after he killed Spider-Man or whatever, right? Like he's still—he's still. He's still uh, he still got some pants on and stuff. And, I, and, and not only that, but not only that, but like you know, I, I will, I will go to bat on this. Like supposedly, you know, in the story, uh, you know, the symbiote was rendered insane because of the church bells, and he bonded to well, it, bonded Eddie Brock, and that kind of changed like both of their natures. They wanted to kill Spider Man, so I could see like. You know, the symbiote needs a vacation, too. doesn't always need adrenaline, you know, like, go on a, like, you know, club bed experience, you know, like, you know, if you could see me now, I just killed a spider, you know, like, give the guy a little trip. You know what I'll go to bat for that was really awesome about this? See, this is back in the days, like, this comic did not lie to me. The cover has Venom. And Venom is doing a Shakespearean Hamlet homage where he says, Alas, poor yeah. Spider-Man, I killed him well. And he's got the skull of Spider-Man with the tattered remains of his mask. And even though it's not Spider-Man, and Spider-Man cleverly tricks him and everything, that does actually occur. Venom thinks he's killed Spider-Man and holds up his skull and figures, Yay, I've I've destroyed Spider-Man. And so, like, I kind of like... You know, it's like I kind of miss that thing where it's like it's one of those like shocking covers that is kind of atypical of Silver Age comic books. But usually when you would read those Silver Age comic books, you'd be like, God damn it, this totally lied to me. So I pick up the comic book, whereas this kind of gets your attention and you go, holy crap, did they kill Spider-Man? And you pick up the comic and you read it and you're kind of like, there's no way they'd kill Spider-Man. And they didn't. But like they still kind of twisted the narrative so that the cover did not really lie to you. So I, I will totally go to bat for that. Like this is, this is a, a awesome in its, you know, kind of marketing slash how it ties into the actual 
innards of the comic book, which kind of bugs me to know. And these days, you know, Spider-Man is dead. Yeah. 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 It it just kind of bugs me these days because these days you'll get a comic book and it'll have this cover and it'll be like, you know, I don't know, Superman, you know, like, I don't know, punching out the Justice League. And then on the inside of the comic, like Justice League never appear in the comic or whatever. And you're just like, what? It was a dream. You know, no, no, not even that. This is like straight up total disconnect where it's like, here's a cover with like Iron Man punching Captain America. And then you read the actual comic and it's about, you know, I don't know, like Carol Danvers going on a date with somebody, you know, and you're just like, what is this? Like, or, why, or, why? Or even better, you know? better. It's like, it's like Thor as Venom and he never turns into Venom. Right. Like right. A yeah. 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 This, the, the, you lied to me or, or this is some weird marketing cover thing where like every cover this month is somebody turning into Venom, but yet that has nothing to do with the story. Yeah. Yeah. What what would you think, Justin? Was it was it worth your while? I had never read this before, which I thought was kind of surprising because when I was in school, there was a good friend of mine who was really kind of crazy about Spider-Man and he he was buying all the titles and he would buy guest appearances and everything. So like we we would always read his comics and then like he you know later he moved away so I started buying Spider-Man and I think that's like when Mark Bailey was uh, doing their work but like I read a lot of like the McFarlane and Eric Larson Spider-Man stuff but I had never read this one before so it was kind of it was kind of interesting to you know, like you guys are saying read something from this era especially something that I had never read before it was fun I know you guys are talking about the ending where Peter you know fakes his own death and you're like oh that was clever i thought that was really dumb it felt like something from scooby-doo because <laughs> like and i mean i get it it's a comic book and they've got the comic code but like if you were really in an explosion even one that big like there would still be like flesh and muscle and organic matter on your bones like you wouldn't be a complete skeleton and i was like did the symbiote make eddie dumb like why was he fooled by this like this this seems like the <laughs> This seems like a solution to like Scooby Doo or like Spider Man and his amazing friends or something. I was just like, that's dumb. You, you got to remember, Eddie got his toe stubbed because Spider Man turned in the really real criminal that he wrote an expose on the fake criminal. So one, Eddie Brock was stupid to begin with, right? He he fell for some <laughs> guy who told him he was the real Sin Eater who wasn't the Sin Eater, and then he got mad. He got his toe stubbed that someone pointed out that he was wrong. So. I think I, I kind of think Eddie. I'm kind of like I think I think Eddie Brock's always been dumb. I kind of think that's the case. Like, like I mean, we, it, 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 his solution for like being angry was to lift weights. So, you know. <laughs> like when Peter's swimming away to the ship, I just imagine him going like Ruby Roo. <laughs> <laughs> No one else said. I, I... Is that is that like when Venom sneaks up on him on the island? Like Peter's like zoinks. Like is that what's <laughs> zoinks? No, no one else. I was thinking that I did kind of appreciate about this issue is, like this is like kind of back when Venom had limits. I guess mm. I'm saying like you know when he he sends like all this symbiote through the beach and like tries to like grab Peter. It's like you know Brock's like half naked because yeah, the symbiote's yeah. mostly in the sand. Like, nowadays, I feel like he can, like, just shoot out unlimited tentacles or whatever. Right, he never, right. like, loses any mass yeah. or anything. Turn, turn to a fucking wrecking ball and he's fine, yeah. Yeah. 
Like even like his his very first appearance, like an amazing three hundred. Like the way Peter beats him is like he makes him use up so much webbing that he can't produce anymore, and then like he's unprotected when he like falls off a building and like knocks himself out, and like you know like when people like I remember when I read that the first time I was like oh that's interesting because like I I would naturally assume that like Peter beats him with like a sonic gun or something like that, but. I was going to ask uh, uh, Mike or Derek, uh, comic historians, or Justin, if you know this. I, I'm not sure how aware of your Venom, you know, history you are. When when I was talking about Peter grabbing the uh, piece of timber from the bonfire, Eddie Brock actually says, "Oh, Spider-Man knows that you're repelled by fire," and I'm like, "Is is that a thing? I didn't yeah. think that was a thing." Yeah, is they so that is a thing. But yeah. did Peter know that, or yeah. was that just so? I'm, okay. I'm pretty. Okay. I'm pretty sure in that last sticks and stones thing. Like I'm trying to remember somebody, somebody used fire. Like maybe the Punisher with yeah, the stone. Blow stone has a flamethrower. Yeah, think, so. yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, okay, that was okay, that was okay. always kind of a a thing. So so Sonic's and fire. Okay, okay. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. But well, that uh, that's nice continuity though. So I mean, that's 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 good. Yeah. So okay, cool. but that that's also kind of interesting because Peter thinks the symbiote is guarding him, but actually it's because the symbiote's like, "Well, fuck you, fire! I'm not going near you." <laughs> it's like he, he, he is guarding, he is guarding, but he's also like he doesn't want to be near the fire either. He's he's doing double duty, you know. Yeah. Eric had mentioned the cover. That is a pretty nice cover. Yeah. That yeah, is that it is, is yeah. It's a good cover. It's it, it, it's it, it, it's what we would call. Not in the industry because I'm not in the comic industry, but if you were in the industry, I would call it an eye catch. When you oh, see yeah. it on the stands, you're like, "Yeah, I want to buy that." Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it it kind of evokes classic literature, but it also evokes like kind of like grab people's attention. Like, what did they do to Spider-Man? Like, I I need to read the inside to find out and everything. I mean, I I would say in the context of Venom. This issue is a classic Venom story. Now, whether you think Venom is a classic character and in the larger tapestry of sure. comics, whether this is a quote-unquote classic comic, like there, there's room for debate over that. But I mean, I think, I think in terms of Venom stories, like I would still be willing to say, like e- even though you know it's kind of like Mike was saying, like that, that the character wasn't so overpowered. Like this is this is pre him being an anti-hero. So I think. I think to me this is like this is like the last gasp of Venom just being a plain old, you know, I I am a baddie. I'm a bad guy and there's none of this kind of anti-hero like I will I will do a rival fusion with Spider-Man to fight Carnage and his cronies of stupidity or whatever. You know, like this is this is going to be, you know, just mono a mono and you know, kind of like a last gasp of, of, for lack of a better term, you know, classic Venom. You know, like, I think this is the last sort of classic Venom story that you have, essentially. I mean, unless you, yeah, you know, tell tell some kind of flashbacky story or whatever. Because the, the next time you see Venom after this is when Peter goes to retrieve him from the island to yeah. fight Carnage. Carnage, so, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't intentional, but like, but yeah, that's that's what I got from this. You know, it was like, I, I I don't know if I ever was opposed to the lethal protector thing. It was the '90s again. I was young, so anti-heroes were not something I was against. But I've always like I've, I've always like had that thing with doppelgangers, like the bad guy version of a good guy. 
with Flash, you have the reverse Flash, Professor Zoom. With, like, Superman, you have Bizarro. With, like, you know, so many characters, some of the, the most fun characters are the, the, the bad version of them. And, with yeah, with Venom being the bad Spider-Man, which I think he should be, that's what I think he should always be, this is, yeah, yeah, this is, like, his last hurrah. This is his last, like, you know... I'm not the good Spider-Man. I, 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 I'm, I'm a very bad person, you know? <laughs> Attention. Attention all personnel. New from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, it's MASHCAST. Hosted by MASH fan Rob Kelly and a rotating cast of VIPs, MASHCAST analyzes, episode by episode, the greatest television series of all time, MASH. Find MASHCAST on fireandwaterpodcast.com. So I, I guess what we'll do is move on to the next comic, which is a comic book that technically, I guess, Justin brought for this evening. Do you want to explain what, what's going on here, Justin? Um, I don't care about Venom, so I'm going to give you my turn. <laughs> so, so Justin kindly gave me his Venom turn, and I even have my own turn, because I couldn't pass up the two comics that I'm going to talk about tonight. I, I don't think we'll ever get another chance to discuss these comics ever, so I figured, you know, technically it, it falls within the parameters of this episode. So, without further ado, what Justin brought in, you know, for me tonight is... Kid and Play, issue number nine, Marvel Madness. Now, believe it or not, I know this is going to be a shock to the listeners, but believe it or not, issue number nine was the final issue of Kid and Play. I know you're like, what? Like, this didn't run for hundreds of issues? Like, are you mad? Like, so, yes, unfortunately, number nine was the final issue. Basically, on the cover, Where's you've got... Kid and Play now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ba- basically, <laughs> basically, on the cover, we've got Kid and Play surrounded by various denizens of the Marvel Universe. We've got, like, Captain America, The Thing, Hulk, Punisher, Ghost Rider, Wolverine, Strong Guy, Storm, and, of course, the person we're all here to talk about tonight, Venom. And so, I didn't really... I there, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, 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 there are no real synopses of this issue on the interwebs and I did not want to waste my time writing a synopsis so I just figured I'm gonna wing it I'm gonna totally like wing this tonight and just kind of tell you as we go here but the the actual title is called dream a dream the writer is Dwight D. Koye the penciler is Chuck Frazier and believe it or not Fabian Nicieza our boy was the editor on Kid and Play this was actually, the cover date is October 1992, which kind of fits into the whole Fanholes Fright Fest Halloween theme, but the actual on-sale date was August 25th, 1992. Its cover price was a whopping $1.25. $1.25 for Kid and Play, guys. So, anyway, alright. I still cheat and I read it for free. Yeah, yeah. So, here we are. We're, we're, we're reading the final issue of Kid and Play. It starts out with Kid and Play doing some rap or whatever. It's probably a real song, but I can't remember ever hearing it. Just just to give you guys some background, like, I kind of... I, I kind of have history with Kid and Play. Like, I remember... Like, I, I was trying to think about how to phrase this before we started the show, but, like, number one, my current intro of History of Comics on Film... 
has a clip from Class Act, which stars Kid and Play, which I kind of tend to conflate with the House Party franchise. And I've watched all of those movies. Like, and I kind of, I mean, yeah, it's weird that there's a Kid and Play comic, but you kind of have to remember, like, dude, they made four House Party movies. Like, they wouldn't have made four House Party movies if this didn't make money. Like, they wouldn't have tried to, like, make a Kid and Play comic book series if they didn't think it was going to make money. So, obviously, there was some kind of market for this, and that's why they did it. So, I just kind of wanted to briefly get into that. But I, I, I should I should mention, though, Derek, Class Act also featured Hillary from Fresh Prince of Blair. So, yeah, no, yeah, 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 there, there's that, too. So, so it opens with them kind of doing one of their musical acts, and you see that Play sees a vision of his girlfriend Shauna, who basically left him in the last issue or whatever. So, and, and he sees her out there in the audience, and he's desperately, like, trying to to run after Shauna through the crowd and everything. And by the time he gets to her, like, she basically tells him everything's okay, and he hugs her. And it's actually, like, for something that's supposed to be pretty comedic, it's it's actually, like, one of the more poignant moments in the comic, because when he hugs her, he wakes up holding a pillow and kind of realizes he's all alone and is, is basically, like, kind of depressed because he's going through, like, the breakup blues or whatever. And so the next morning, you've got kid and i guess i uh, see i don't know enough about this but this dude's name is wiz and like i guess he's like their dj or you know he's the guy scratching the records in the background or whatever but he also seems to be kind of like the nerdy tech guy of their whole comic crew or whatever in this storyline so basically like they come over to play's house and their mom invites uh, his mom invites them in and everything because you know they they know he's all depressed and everything and he's kind of staring at a picture of him and his girlfriend that he had kept on the mantle and they basically ask him like you know how he's doing and everything and you could tell he's like super depressed basically she married some other guy and moved off to west africa forever so like and 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 again this is a little more poignant than you would expect because his buddies kind of see like he's really kind of in you know he's he's in the shits like he's basically like super depressed and everything so to 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 basically launch off this this story of epic craziness wiz and play uh or or wiz and kid brought play bunch of shitload of marvel comic books and kid brings him this like coupon for a pizza right this soul food pizza with but i guess everything on it including mold and the kitchen sink and all kinds of weird shit as we'll see later but anyway so so basically they're like dude chill out like don't think about this chick like she dumped you or whatever but like cheer up here's some comics here's some pizza we'll we'll leave you to it and he's he's being depressed the whole day and eventually you know nighttime rolls around and he notices that he's actually hungry because he hasn't really moved out of his bed all day and figures, hey, I'll order this pizza. And then probably in what today's day and age would be seen as a racist caricature, this happy Asian lady named Grace comes over with a pizza and then she doesn't get tipped and she's all like butthurt over it and everything. And Play basically eats this like nasty ass fucking pizza. It looks like there's garbage on it and like a pig's nose and shit. Like, I don't know what's on this pizza, but everything's on this pizza. And so... You know, he's reading all these Marvel comics, he finishes the entire pizza by himself, and then all of a sudden, 
he after he's kind of snoozing, he hears a big bang on the door. And all of a sudden, the Incredible Hulk walks in through the front door and asks if he's Christopher Martin, a.k.a. Play of Hidden Play. And he says a friend has a message to deliver him. And his friend said, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. And the Incredible Hulk punches Play through the roof of his fucking house. And then through, like, a bunch of buildings, like the gladiator fighting thing in the fucking Fantastic Four. And somehow, Play manages to get launched all across, like, New York City, falls and crashes into the street and still isn't dead. And when he comes back up out of the, you know, rubble in the street, he sees <laughs> Professor X and, like, all the X-Men. You've got, like, Strong Guy and Cyclops and Storm and Beast and Rogue and Iceman and... You know, basically, Professor X is sitting there going, In the name of the Master, destroy him, my pupils! And Cyclops is like, sure thing, sir. And so they attack him. He gets launched into the sewer. And you, you can hear the X-Men are chasing him. And he tries to hide out in the sewer. And finally, he finds uh, another manhole that he can crawl up the ladder to. And just as he's about to get out of the sewer... And he's right next door to his buddy Kid's house. He's just about to run to Kid's house and escape all this madness. The alien symbiote, like, launches up out of the sewer, grabs him by the limb, and <laughs> drags him back down into the sewer. And so he's, like, you know, kind of talking about how he gave the X guys the slip, and he's about to, like, eat his brain or some shit. But then I guess Venom, like, is content with his, like, two-panel cameo, I guess, and and he's like, he basically describes his friends and saying they might want first crack at play, and so he throws him down into the hands of the Punisher, Wolverine, and Ghost Rider, and basically, these guys are such goobers that they, they can't even, like, kill play without arguing with one another, so basically, they start fighting amongst themselves, and then Play gets the fuck out of there and goes back up the sewer. Finally gets to the kid's house. Kid is there with their buddy Wiz. And he's basically like ranting and raving. And they think that Play is an absolute madman. Because he's telling them that the Marvel Universe, you know, heroes, villains, mutants, vigilantes, they're all trying to kill me. And they don't believe him. They think he's lost his fucking gourd. And then all of a sudden... They hear this voice outside saying, In the name of the Master, surrender yourself. And then Kid looks out the window. And at this point, you're kind of like, Well, I guess this is real. Because now Kid sees all this crazy shit outside. And he's sweating. And then Wiz looks out the window. And sees basically like the entire Marvel Universe is there. And Captain America's got like a bullhorn. And he's telling them all to surrender in the name of the Master. And you're like, who is this, the Master from Doctor Who? Like, who the fuck is the Master? And so the Master turns out to be this Darth Vader knockoff that looks like he's kind of like, I don't know, a cross between Darth Vader and uh, the guy from the Micronauts or whatever. And, and, then, and then they're on the run. And before Wiz and Kid can get away with play... Night Thrasher and Wolverine drag them down through the wood floors, and Play is left to his own accord, and all of a sudden Wolfsbane and She-Hulk tackle Play and bring them to this kind of, you know, 
Darth Vader knockoff guy. And then when he takes off his Darth Vader helmet, it turns out it's the evil version of play. And then the, the, the paneling on this is kind of weird, but basically the evil version of play in the Darth Vader outfit zaps the real version of play, the one on the run, and gives him the same Darth Vader outfit, but instead of having a red lightsaber, he's got a blue lightsaber, which is the only way you can tell them apart. And so now you've got play versus play in Darth Vader armors with blue and red lightsabers. And it's like he's going through his little psychological breakup trauma and realizes that the master is the representation of his inner guilt for letting this girl run off with another dude to West Africa. And then the more he argues with this guilt, it shrinks into a little dude, like it's a little action figure now, and he steps on it. And when he steps on it, he wakes up. It was just a dream. He takes the little framed photo of him and his girl, kisses it goodbye, and now he's like back on the straight and narrow, calls up kid, and is like, dude, let's go, you know, make music and, and be happy, and I'm going to get on with my life. And he does the end of episode filmation wink at the audience. And then they give you the little, because they know it's the final issue, they just say, peace, it's been real, the kid and play crew. And that is basically the end of the issue. I didn't know this series existed until a couple, I don't know, maybe like a month ago when we were planning this, and I was like, what else has Venom been in? And then I was like, wait a minute, what do you mean he's been in Kid and Play? And what do you mean there's a Kid and Play comic? And so I think I read this one night with all the guys on the call, and I was like, we, we need to talk about this. Like, this is, this is kind of apeshit. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I use Justin's slot to, to discuss this, but... I don't know if you guys have any, if you're, if you're just gobsmacked and you have nothing to say, or if you have tons of stuff to say, but I kind of want to open it up to you guys and what, ask kind of what you thought of it. So when I got to the first page and it was like immediately them like on stage and, you know, doing their thing, like my eyes kind of rolled back in their heads because, and I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the show before, but I don't like rap, like any kind of rap, like none of it I, I just that's the genre of music like i don't like so from the first page i was just like oh geez like my my cousin was into their movies and stuff like i can remember suffering through one of them one evening because i was like <laughs> like he had House rented it for i don't know which one it was but like he had rented it I'm pretty. And, I'm pretty sure I've seen like all the house party movies. So, yeah. But anyway, he he had rented it and was like gung ho about watching it. And I was like, dude, let's play like, you know, Mega Man Three. Let's like go outside. Like, like let's do something except like watch this movie. And he's like, no, man. Like, I want to watch this. Like, I just rented it. I'm gonna watch it. I was like, you can watch it anytime. Like, you can watch it later tonight. Like, I don't want to watch this. And so, like, I think, I think I kind of like you know, was grumpy and, like, a little kid and sat on the couch for, like, maybe 20 minutes hoping he would, like, you know, get the clue and turn it off and, like, you know, hang out with me, but he never did, and I just kind of, like, after about 20 minutes, I got even more mad, and I just, like, left, but that's that's my experience with these guys. This comic was weird, uh, of course. 
I don't think that even needs to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. The thing that I liked is I liked that page with the Hulk. I thought, I mean, I'm a Hulk guy. You guys know that. I thought the Hulk looked pretty cool. I thought the X-Men looked not so good. Like, they looked really weird and not on model, I guess. I don't know. The the art is really stylized, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny Derek mentioned, like, his evil twin being, like, Darth Vader and the Micronauts bad guy because, like, that was my first thought. I was like, is this the dude from Micronauts? And I was like, what's his name? Is it Karza? I don't know. That's, I don't know. That, like, that's Baron Karza. Baron Karza. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's who he looks like. He looks like Baron Karza. To me, yeah. So. And I was like, well, Marvel probably didn't have a license from Micronauts like in, you know, 90, whenever this was. So I was like, I was like, I don't know. I guess it's some knockoff Darth Vader guy. And then, yeah, like this, this is a weird thing. And it's like you said, like, this is, this is something we will probably never ever have a chance to, to yeah. talk about. And like, that's yeah. we were so enthusiastic about it that night. I was just like, screw it. I don't care that much about Venom. Like, you can have my turn. Like, take it and let's talk about this. Well, it's crazy that like because this is this is what this is a year after the comic. I mean, essentially like a year and some change, right after the comic that that Tony brought. But at this point, like, I mean, you know, Venom. Venom is a big like he's put on that cover for a reason. I mean, th- this is the last issue of a flailing, failing title, right? So this is a last-ditch effort. Like, please, Marvel fanboys, like, like, please buy this issue so we can avoid cancellation type thing. And, like, they put the X-Men, they put Ghost Rider, Punisher, Wolverine, and, like, throwing him into the mix, he, he became one of these guys. If, you're, if your title is not doing too hot, hey, maybe you want to stick Venom in it. And, like, I don't think it worked for this. Like, this, obviously, it didn't continue the book or anything like that. But you're going to, I mean, you'll see a pattern with Venom's guest appearances after this point. Like, that, that they'll slap him into anything if they think it'll boost sales, just like they did with Wolverine, Punisher, and Ghost Rider back in the day. And I think I think Venom kind of is an honorary member of that club, you know, where they just slap them into anything, you know consequences character be damned you know like let's let's stick venom in a book and help it sell 90s cool yeah when when i read this and i don't know if i read this as much as i like went through it it was wiggity whack cool it was definitely up on the fly side (laughs) I, i felt like i got my 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 boots rocked Oh, the Jimmy Jams, me? the Jimmy Jams, wrong point. You know, tell tell them what you told me earlier about when you were reading this. Oh uh, well, this this well this goes to a later thing too. But uh, Derek lost his goddamn mind and forgot he was uh, <laughs> a bit of mine. So I was reading this, I was like, is, is this a thing? Okay, I guess this is a thing. I was like, Derek has officially been on fan hole so long, he doesn't give a shit anymore. He's like, <laughs> Venom Boss, I'll bring kid in play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we broke Derek. <laughs> broke. Hey, just I, I'm just glad I talked you guys out of uh, talking about Venomverse or whatever we were originally going to do because I was like, I don't think I could do that. I don't think I don't think I could live with myself. It, it, 
is funny though, because as an adult, I can look at this in a kind of a bubble of this is '90s culture. And Derek is right; Venom was a big deal in the '90s. So you're trying to save a failing comic that is based on properties that are actually kind of popular, sort of popular. You, you want to revive it. You want to like keep it going. You want to keep making issues. So bring in, you know, fucking the X Men. Bring in like you know, these top-tier players to to inject some life into it. Venom was one of those guys at that time. The story is crazy. It's it's insane. It's, you know, it's, it's nothing offensive, but it just doesn't fit to my storytelling idea as far as even comedy, because it, it's a little too too safe. For my comedic tastes, you know, it's just like, oh, you know, I'm getting chased by like, you know, all the Marvel heroes and, you know, what's going on? It's it's not anything that you should not read. It's not something that's going to like, you know, piss you off. But after you get done reading it, you are going to you're going to be scratching your head like, really, kid play out a comic? I, I still kind of think compared to something like, say, like Richie Rich and the New Kids or like. I'm trying to think of like other stuff that I feel is like equitable, like say like the 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 Bill and Ted comic that Evan Dorkin did, like like there 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 were things yeah. that they had, like it's like okay, here's a popular semi franchise, semi musical thing or whatever, but like even in those books, I mean, I I don't I don't remember Richie Rich and the New Kids having like this deep moment of like dude dog like. Uh, Donnie broke up with his girlfriend and he's super depressed, Richie Rich. And like Richie Rich has to like cheer him up. It was like, it was always something kind of like, dude, we're driving around Richie Rich's mansion and it's so fucking big. We don't know where we are. You know, and it's like, it's even more safe than this was. Whereas like, I was, I was kind of shocked that the whole, the whole impetus of this kind of wild, you know, pizza fever dream that, that play is having is kicked off because he has legitimate, like, personal issues in his life you know like where he's got like psychological demons you know that he's got to deal with you know? but, but yeah but on the flip side like you would actually care if richie rich broke up with his girlfriend i don't care if kid and or play break up with their girlfriend <laughs> i'm sorry I, uh, I i know one has a box one has dreads and also that Wiz, unfortunately because i have watched all the house party movies was originally played by martin lawrence in the first one so, oh, that's who he is. See, I couldn't even tell from the comic book, and like, it's been so many years since I watched those movies, but that makes sense now. Like, because he was their buddy in the in the the films, right? Okay, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bringing that 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 knowledge in. Unfortunately, there was actually a point where, again, I don't know which one is kid and which one is play. I want to say kid is the one with the box. Kid, kid is the kid. Kid's the one with the box. Yeah. Well, he starts out with the box haircut. Oddly enough, by but this issue. By this issue, he has, he, he has the dreads. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. 90s, 90s kids. I mean, yeah, that's, that's um, just how it goes. Speaking of that kind of hairstyle, like when you when you guys were in the 90s, like did you know someone with that kind of haircut? Because like nobody, I feel nobody like nobody had a box like that. No, no, that was not a box I mean, that a normal human would have. It it was exaggerated, but yes. there. I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, like, okay, let me put it this way. Kids... A box is a haircut, but not like that. Well, yeah, but but kids is like, you know, a, a fucking 12-inch ruler, right? Like, like most most <laughs> people, if they had a haircut like that, it'd be like, you know, 
three to four, like max, like you, you wouldn't have a foot long box haircut. Yeah. Right. And then, and then the other thing that used to be big was they had the, it was like this, uh, like the Bobby Brown haircut where it was like the kind of sloped, like, I mean, that, that was kind of big back then, like where they had that kind of, I don't, I don't know what you call it exactly. I'm sure there's like a, a hairdressing term for it, but it, you know, it kind of had that angular like slope where it was kind of like, you know, part, you know, the right side was big and the left side had sort of that slow indent or whatever. So like, yeah, I knew people that had haircuts like that. I, I was going to say like, I feel like that was so popular in the early nineties that there was at least one or two kids in every school that had a hairstyle kind of like that. Not as big. Of right, course, right, like, right. Like in that style. Yeah, it's basically a flat top on crack, basically. <laughs> I mean, I'm just appreciative of reading this because now I can be like, Wolverine, pff, he got owned by play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Where's your fan aura now, bitch? <laughs> uh, uh, like, I, I, I was just happy, like, I know this is a Venom show and I'm not going to go into it too deeply. But you know what? It, it kind of made me happy that Night Thrasher was in this. I'm like, you, you go, boy. You were in this comic. You were popular in the '90s too, damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's like not the only not the only comic that Night Thrasher's in tonight. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, true. Yeah. This is. I mean, I mean, I'll just be honest, and you guys can expound upon this. I'll let you expound, Mike. I know you haven't talked about this much. I just, I just, I just thought this was kind of a messy, like fun thing like Derek said this is pretty much what he said was on point a last flailing attempt to get people to read a kid and play comic it was like this comic has not been doing well throw in all the Marvel Universe guys we can and try to make it worthwhile it's not very memorable I'm not as good as Justin on memory with the Hulk appearance I just know that like a lot of people showed up Venom was in it I, I just read it this morning and it's still that forgettable to me. And that's really sad because I remember all the house party movies because uh, I don't know if you know this guys, but they were about a house party. They were, they were about a house party. <laughs> yeah. Obviously the people who create comic books want you to read the things. Comic books aren't meant to be precious. They're pop art, they're junk culture, but there are culture. If you're listening to this podcast, it's your culture. Most people, when they talk about comic books, they're talking about the so-called Big Two, Marvel Comics and DC Comics. It strikes us, though, that the entire comic book industry is undervalued by the general public. As comic aficionados, we'd like to have a podcast out there that covers the entire rest of the industry, and for that purpose, we will be your underguides. If you're sitting around and you find yourself bitching about comic books all the time and how comic books suck and how back in your day comic books were good, take a listen to the underguides, and you'll maybe open up a little doorway to some independent comic books that you hadn't read before. It doesn't have Spider-Man in it, or a Wolverine, or a Green Lantern in it. But it talks about people's lives and stuff, and sometimes you can identify with. If you're wondering where all the good writers and stuff went that don't write your comic books anymore, they're making independent stuff. So maybe we, we may cover it, and you may find something you can go, go check out. Alright. That's that's fair enough. We, we we did our due diligence. We talked about Venom, and we, we discussed kid and play. Why don't we Why don't we go on to uh, Mike's book that he brought for the evening? Don't don't keep everybody in suspense all at once. Tell us what what comic you brought and how how it ties into uh, Fanhole's Fright Fest Venom themed episode. 
Well, I brought Iron Man 302, a cover <laughs> date of March 1st, 1994, written by Len Kaminsky, pencils by Kevin Hopgood, inks by Steve Mitchell, and colors by Ariane Leshewick. This is actually part two of a, I think it was like four or five part story. This is basically like right after Tony gets his like modular armor and he's kind of still kind of recovering from like being paralyzed and stuff. So this was, this was, this is what people have to understand was like, this is way, way pre Robert Downey Jr. Like Tony Stark, like where, like, I mean, he had a sense of humor, but it wasn't like, the Tony Stark of today where, you know, like Tony Stark of the past kind of had like, it was more about his frailties as a human being and like, you know, his alcoholism and like he, you know, he had like, you know, physical frailties, whether it be his heart or, you know, he had been shot in the spine and like paralyzed for a long time and he had nerve damage. So like, you know, Tony Stark was actually kind of a grim character for a while. Yeah. You know, until, like, you know, they, they decided to, you know, when once Robert Downey Jr., like, you know, starred as him, it was like, oh, now he's, like, always been a, like, sort of quippy, snarky, like, fun guy or whatever, but... He, he, you know, he was accessible by his faults, not by his humor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is a part two, like I said, of a five-part story called Crash and Burn, and part two is titled Oil and Gold. I wrote up a little summary for this issue, which I will now read. Having gotten it into his head that Stark Enterprises is corrupt and harms the innocent, Venom sets his sights on Tony Stark himself. Confronting him in his office, Venom literally bites Tony's head off, only to discover that it is an LMD he's, he has in his clutches. Realizing Tony Stark is remotely controlling the decoy from the building's penthouse, Venom scales the building and crashes into Tony's apartment. Tony, having been wheelchair-bound thanks to recent injuries, leaps out and sends said wheelchair rocketing into Venom and knocking him to a wall and out of the building. Tony crawls to the elevator and heads down to his armory, with Venom quickly recovering and following him down. Tony manages to make it into the armory and seals the doors just before Venom catches up. Meanwhile, one of Tony's faithful employees, Abe Zimmer, is joined by Tony's doctor, Erica Sodenheim, as, she, he, as he examines a recent hack into the company's systems. He believes that he's discovered the hacker's trail and with it, a possible solution to Stark Enterprise's current problems. Back with Venom, the door to Tony's armory suddenly blows open and knocks the supervillain back as Iron Man strides out. Venom tries to blind him with webbing, but Iron Man compensates with ultrasonic imaging to locate his assailant. The ultrasonic frequency makes the symbiote react in pain, and Venom lashes out in a fury against Iron Man. Iron Man quickly turns the tables on Venom and knocks him around with superior strength, all the while denouncing Venom's deranged methods and hypocritical ideology. He tells Venom to prove that he protects the innocent, and Venom agrees to let Tony Stark off for now, while promising to return if Stark is determined to be guilty of the crimes he's been accused of. Thanks to his previous injuries, Iron Man has little choice but to let Venom go, although it leaves a bad taste in his mouth. Tony sends for Bethany Cab to help him up out of his armor and to get him back to his apartment, where his girlfriend Veronica Banning waits. Noticing Bethany's familiarity with Tony, Veronica not so subtly suggests Bethany leave Tony to her. A few days later, Tony takes a call from Dwayne Taylor, head of the Taylor Foundation, 
who expresses his concern about the allegations directed towards Stark Enterprises. Tony isn't in the mood to hear Dwayne's attitude and hangs up on him. On the other end of the call, Dwayne Taylor decides to take a more active hand in his dealings with Stark and suits up as Night Thrasher, joined by his teammates in the New Warriors. Back at Stark Enterprises, Tony is informed by Miss Arborgast that his latest appointment has arrived, that being Captain America. And to be continued in the next part of Crash and Burn. So yeah, like this is something I read like off the spinner rack. And, uh, you know, like you guys know that I love Len Kaminsky's run on Iron Man. And I guess, you know, as we've mentioned before, like we just mentioned in the kid in play like stuff, like this is the 90s. So basically, you know, if your book's not selling that great, insert Venom into it and, you know, maybe you'll get a little like boost. And I think that's kind of, you know, kind of what's happening here. But like I've always enjoyed like this and it happens a lot in Len Kaminsky's run, but he always like he clearly had a lot of affection for Iron Man and he he, he loves to like kind of poke fun at like the popular trends of the day. So like I really love like like Iron Man's like verbal takedown of Venom where he's like, you know, you think you're a friggin' like protector of the innocent, but you're really like a deranged madman who should be, you know, thrown in prison or whatever. And at least like it's not like, you know, Iron Man and Venom shook hands and Iron Man's like, well, as long as you protect the innocent, like, you know, we're cool, man. Like, it's like, you know, Tony's like hurt. So he's like, I don't like letting him go, but like, it's all I can manage at the moment. So like, I've always liked that part of it. And like, I, I also liked that Venom, like, you know, well, Venom was giving Iron Man a hard time. Like once, once he became Iron Man, basically, it's like, you know, he beat the shit out of Venom. So right. Yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed that as well. So, like, I, like, I've always liked this issue, and, like, I love this run of Iron Man, so that's kind of why I, like, picked this, like, issue in particular. Yeah, you, you and I are secret brothers. That's why I did my little woo when you were introducing the issue, because I, I like this run of Iron Man, too, and I also, like, bought this off of a spinner rack, because, like, I was reading Iron Man at this time. So, like, you know, getting Venom, like, was kind of a little bonus, because... I mean, I may not be crazy about Venom now, but, like, when I was a kid, like, I did like Venom. Like, I was, yeah. you know, I was in on the Venom, like, type train. I was like, oh, cool. Like, yeah, I, I was definitely, Man. yeah, I was definitely excited. I was like, oh, wow, like, Venom and Iron Man in the same yeah. comic? Like, there, there are some nice, like, splash pages and, like, double spreads in this issue. Like, I kind of like those. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I can remember that because I can remember, like, looking at those pages and like trying to you know ape them in my sketchbook but like i you know i can never like get them down quite right especially like there's one where like venom is on top of iron man yeah and like i can remember like specifically like sitting down and trying to like you know capture that myself but i i can never like do it justice but but yeah i like like i said i'm i'm secret brothers with mike uh, for this whole run of iron man and i always like this issue so i'm glad he brought it I think uh, one of the things that's really good about this issue is, even though Venom is still more or less a new character at this point, I mean, he's only been around for like five, six, seven years, is he gets a, a time to shine. He puts Tony on the ropes for a minute, but Iron Man is a classic character, and he is a, a powerful character. I mean, Iron Man is Iron Man. And this is, this is way before the MCU. This is not just you know, fan service. Iron Man has been an Avenger. He's seen shit. He knows how to deal with it. 
And it's a really rare instance where you could see someone like Venom, who honestly, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean to Venom because I like Venom. He is a threat, but he's not the top tier. He's not a Doctor Doom. He's not, you know, a guy who should be able to take down Iron Man. And he doesn't. And that's a really good thing because Venom has a good showing, but Iron Man totally, like you said, Mike, takes him down at the end. And the only reason Venom backs off is because Iron Man is Iron Man. And I think that's really good storytelling. You know, you show Tony at his weakest when he can be taken advantage of, and he has trouble dealing with this, you know, foreign threat because he hasn't had to deal with Venom. But when you when you iron up, you know, when you like, you know, do the Iron Man thing, yeah, Venom's going to get taken out. That that's just solid storytelling. That's that's how you should tell a story. Make the bad guy look good, but keep the hero safe. Make him the star of the issue, which is, I think, a really good storytelling process. You know, always make the hero the hero. You know, if if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I I I think this is good because. I, I like what Mike said, you know, the, the kind of verbal takedown of Venom. Like, I like the scene where he says, you want to confront evil Venom? Take a good long look yeah, in the yeah, mirror. Yeah, yeah, this is the lethal you know? protector shit that we don't like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, 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 and then the great part of it is when he grabs Venom by the fucking tongue and electrocutes his ass. Like, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. the best. I mean, I think, I think Iron Man or even Tony Stark, even in his incapacitated state has an advantage over Venom that Peter Parker and Spider-Man would never have because he doesn't he doesn't really have any concern with Venom knowing his secret identity like he doesn't he doesn't have that sort of responsibility and baggage of, of having brought the symbiote to earth like those kind of things so it's like I, I think I think it's good that he gives him a verbal takedown, but I think also he he does have the kind of high ground or the moral fortitude. Like, he, he doesn't... I mean, for the purposes of the story, Venom has to get away, but, like, you know, like like you're saying, like, Len Kaminsky tries to write it in such a way that, like, look, I, I didn't I didn't mean for him to get away. I mean, I think, I think part of me thinks that's a little disappointing that, you know, it's kind of like this flimsy excuse of, like, oh, well, I, you know... I've got a headache. I don't feel like sex tonight, honey. You know, like that that's kind of what the ending feels like, but at least at least it's written into the story where it's not just like, oh yeah, like like you're saying, it's not like this kind of, you know, let's have a truce, Venom, even though you go against everything that I morally stand for, like because you're going to go off and have your own series of adventures. It's like it's just, you know, oh well, you know, it's it's not like the first time a hero and a villain had a face-off and a villain, you know, narrowly yeah, it, escaped. It, it, it's right? more of a, it's more of a, I'll get you next time if you fuck with me. You yeah, know? yeah. I, I think this is also like uh, you guys have said, Luke Kaminsky is just a, a really good Iron Man writer, and when Tony was dealing with Venom, taking him off his guard, because at this point Tony is not at his strongest. You know, we've seen Tony with heart problems, but he was still able to stand. And I actually, I've always kind of had a soft spot for the wheelchair Tony arc because that's when he was at his most weakest. And I remember I got the double size issue where he went through his whole, like, do you guys remember that issue? Where he went through his whole past and everything and how he made the modular armor? Yeah, he had to, like, rebuild his mind and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. yeah. That was a great issue, yeah. And, and this is playing off that and, like, 
I, I really appreciated this story because you have the new kid on the block, Venom, and like that that's that's like a really cool thing to like kind of throw into the mix, you know, it's like Iron Man always has to deal with new threats. And yeah, Venom's never gonna be an Iron Man villain, but it's kinda cool to mix it up a little bit. But me and Derek have talked about this many times. We hate when a new guy comes in and pones the the classic hero because reasons. And at least Derek, you gotta give you gotta give Tony this and obviously the writer, like there's no ponage of Venom. Venom doesn't own Tony Stark. He gets owned by Tony Stark, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's worth noting. I mean, I, I know we've kind of spelt out that this is pre-Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, you know, but I, I think it's worth overemphasizing. This is this is pre-Iron Man as an A-list comic book character, an A-list yeah. movie star character, because, you, you know, you're talking about the, the 300th issue, and it's like the 300th issue had this chromium freaking cover and, and all this extra stuff and probably was overpriced and everything. But it's like, I'm sure it sold well because it had a special cover and it was the 300th issue. And and they were trying to find ways of, I mean, you know, at this point in time, or, or maybe a little bit before this point in time, you know, it, it's kind of famously said, the editor said, Thunderstrike, War Machine, you know, U.S. Agent, guys like that outsold Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor. You know, like like War Machine was selling yeah. better than Iron Man. Thunderstrike was selling way fucking better than Thor. You know, like so it's Who'd like thought. You know, and and that that was the era you were in. So I mean, I think to maintain whatever you know whatever kind of hype and heat they had off of this new modular armor, the the you know the special cover of 300. I mean, it, you know, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not well read on this run of Iron Man, but I mean, I assume Crash and Burn is one of those storylines where every part of it there's like, you know, I imagine, you know, next issue it's Cap and the New Warriors and an issue after that it's some other guest star. So they're like trying to keep that hype train rolling like, oh, you bought this chromium Yeah, more, you know. More or it, less, it, it, like the, the issue before this was Deathlock. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you it, had all it, these kind of new it's and called Armor Wars three, but they didn't want to go there because Armor Wars two didn't sell well. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is this is an entertaining read, and again, even though it's part of a a six part storyline, I still feel like we had a sort of a complete story. Mine is a multi part story, and it could be a one and done. But this actually really came off to me like a, a really good one and done because even though it kind of started kind of out of the blue, I could see like Venom doing that, just coming out of the blue, which he does. I mean, that's this is his first and like you know quick appearance, and it's it's a it's a good story for Iron Man kind of getting his moral footing, like we've said throughout like our synopsis is. Uh, Tony Stark is a better person than Eddie Brock. And it's obvious. You know, it's obvious that he's got more conviction. He's got more fortitude. He 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 has ideas that are more honest. And this is this is where like, you know, that lethal protector shit kind of takes a hard hit. It's like, really, dude? You're you're kind of a piece of shit, you know? So, you know. That, that, that's like a, a detriment to Venom in a way, but not because of the writing, because of other writers trying, well, not even writers, because of Marvel trying to make Venom a hero. 
Yeah. It's like this, this this writer actually said, I want to take Venom down a peg. And not because, oh. yeah, I hate him, but just because he's not a good hero. Yeah. Well, like, like I said, like Len Kaminsky, like kind of seemed to love to do this kind of thing because like, like, yeah, the next issue, like, uh, like Iron Man fights the new warriors and then Thunderstrike shows up. And then like, like, I, I forget, like, it's a typical Marvel thing where it's like, you know, everyone could just stop for a minute and talk out their differences. But it's like, you know, Thunderstrike's like, you know, oh, look, look, a fight. Like, let me go in there and fight too like and you know the new warriors are like we're gonna we're angry and we're young and we're just gonna not listen to you and fight you know whatever and but like at the end of it it's like iron man like totally like owns night thrasher and thunderstrike where he's like you know you guys are trying to like solve complex problems with like simple solutions like you guys are dumb like and then, like you know, he's like, and 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 Night Thrasher has an excuse because he's a fucking kid. But you Thunderstrike, like you should know better. And Thunderstrike's like, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> but, but, hey, he's like, he's like, does it help? I I have a little kid, so that's yeah. kind of why I was dumb. And then like like I love like like in uh, I think an issue we already talked about where. Iron Man like fights that simulation of the X Men. Oh yeah, yeah. And like they're yeah. all like, you know, we must protect the dream. And like then Iron Man beats them all in a like couple panels, and he's kind of like, you know, you guys would like fight better if you stop making stupid speeches and stuff. Like, but yeah, like I, I like it seems like Len Kaminsky really loved to make commentary about stuff like that. So like I always appreciated that. Yeah, yeah. Iron Man is a is a great thinker. He really is. And this is going to sound the most stupid thing I'll probably ever say, but he's a great doer. He does stuff. He doesn't just like think about stuff. He doesn't just like pretend to inhabit an idea. He actually tries to make the idea go forward. He he he, he enacts his ideas. If that makes sense, he 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 fights for his ideas instead of just like. Things should be better. He's like, Iron Man wants to make things better, and he does stuff to make things better. Sometimes he fucks up, but, you know, like, that's, that's, that's what a guy does. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a relatable trait. And unlike Venom, who wants to protect innocence, Iron Man actually does protect innocence. <laughs> Iron Man's like, I don't care how much your book sells. Like, you're an idiot. Like, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. In a, in, a, in a better nutshell, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like the the only the only reason I let this go is because I know in twenty years I'll be out selling you. So <laughs> it's like my my movies are gonna make way more than yours will. Neener, neener, neener. Well, these people can understand me in my trailer. <laughs> hey, I take issue with that. I understood Venom perfectly, Val. <laughs> he's like, tell me, Val. He's like, I got I got a parasite, Mrs. Chan. You know, I gotta, I gotta report things. I gotta report things. I'm a reporter. He just, he just kind of, <laughs> he just kind of tweaks his voice and everything, but he's fine. I'm a reporter. I'm, 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 you know, I gotta, I gotta report on things. You know, I gotta report. You know, and then, then when he's venom, he's like, I don't think we should report on things. You know, he's fine. He's fine. I'm from Brookline. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, but, uh, but, but I, I will say, good comic, Mike. That, that, that was, I'd never read that. That was a good read. That was fun. You're welcome. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfelstaffner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? Uh, just, I just, 
I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is, like, DC events. DC events? As in the comic books? DC events? Yes, yes. The comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we, we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very... Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So, maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via our podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, okay. I won't even charge you for it. (laughs) Awesome. I don't think I can claim you on benefits. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) When shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my my timetable. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, then let's let's go on to the, the final issue of the evening. This is my official bring to the show tonight and i guess it should be no surprise that it is beavis and butthead issue number three <laughs> um so yeah I... Derek, are you <laughs> am i am i taking this seriously you know who knows but beavis and butthead issue number three uh, it has a cover date of may 1994 its on-sale date was March 15th, 1994. Its cover price was a whopping $1.95. The story that we're mainly going to focus on is the first story, Beavis and Butthead Breakout at Burger World. The writer is Mike Lackey. The artist is Rick L. Parker with some assistance from other artists. And... I'll just get into basically the synopsis, which I did not prepare again. I figure I'm just going to wing it, but Beavis and Butthead was a comic I was buying as it came out. I think the main reason, this is just going to give you guys my backstory on this, but I think the torrid backstory of Derek's purchasing of Beavis and Butthead. No, I I think the reason why I was buying this is because a girl I liked was running for student president. And she wanted me to draw this giant billboard of Beavis and Butthead. And I was pretty... I was I was infamous enough for drawing pretty cool pictures, like, back in high school. And so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll draw this. And it was this huge-ass thing. And I was pretty proud of it. But the, the main reason, I think, why I was buying this... I mean, I liked watching Beavis and Butthead. But it was like, at that point in time, it's not like the internet or, you know, watching things on a computer where you can just, like freeze frame something perfectly and everything like this was back in the days where you had to like record shit on VHS tapes and when you paused it it had a bunch of fucking fuzzy lines on it and all this you know it was it was tough to pause something for too long it, on it a tape it took a little bit of talent yeah. well that and, and, and it wasn't really good on the tape too you know like it's not like you could pause it indefinitely like forever and when you're trying to like 
reference something, it can be pretty difficult. And and I know I, I did this trick a number of times. I mean, I think the reason why she wanted me to draw Beavis and Butthead was because, and I think I might have this on my DeviantArt page, I don't remember or not, but there was some, I think we were, I think we were reading The Grapes of Wrath in our English class or something like that. And and then it was like we had to make a newspaper or something that was supposed to be in the style of the period, and people had to, like, write articles and stuff, and because I didn't want to write a fucking goddamn article about a fake newspaper in the goddamn Roaring Twenties or whatever, I was like, all right, well, can I do the comic strips? And everybody's like, yeah, sure. So basically, I think what I did was I had Beavis and Butthead dressed up like, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, gun runners and like, you know, guys who like ran, you know, the, the clubs and the alcohol and all that stuff, the illegal shit. And so like, I did a bunch of panels of Beavis and Butthead finding like Tommy guns and like blowing stuff up or whatever. <laughs> and I used this, I used these comics, you know, as my still reference, you know, it was like when I was trying to like, you know, capture Beavis and Butthead and all that other stuff. And then I think because of that, the the girl that was running for student president asked me to do these big giant you know, posters of it, which I was pretty proud of, but then I was kind of disappointed because they they didn't quite have the right colors to do Beavis and Butthead justice. So, like, it ended up being like, you know, the kind of, it, it, it's like they were G2 Beavis and Butthead. Like, like instead of having like a gray like ACDC shirt, it was like fluorescent green or something. Like <laughs> like it was like it was like something that Brian would have liked. Like where it was like they had like I looked at it and I was just kinda like, Oh, that's okay. I was like I kinda like part of me was kinda like felt like I didn't draw that. Like that's kinda weird. It's like I think that was the first instance I realized like, oh, like inking and coloring matters. You know, like like 'cause it's like it totally kinda changed what you drew or whatever. But that's that's kind of my my funny torrid backstory with why I was buying these at the time. And I, I did kind of enjoy them, but I think mainly I was buying them just out of, you know, reference sake, you know, and stuff like that. But the story basically is Breakout at Burger World. That's the one we're focusing on. And Pretty much, it opens with Beavis and Butthead in Burger World. They're kind of working there and everything like that. And it's this filthy, like, you know, not well-kept, poor stand-in for basically, like, you know, McDonald's or Burger King or something like that. And, of course, you've got the crazy manager from, from the TV show, you know, it sees who sees them, like, kind of, you know, sticking a dead rat in the the fryer and all this kind of crazy stuff and you know there's this dumb thing where they're giving away the incredible mr limpet like as a free commemorative video with every happy meal purchase or whatever the hell it is and and the main gist of beavis and butthead was you know on the on the tv show you know they they would have their storylines and everything but then you know ultimately the the gag with beavis and butthead was they were on mtv and they would sit down and watch music videos and, and give commentary on them. And, you know, if it was kind of like a hair metal type band or a rock band or something, they'd think it was really cool. And then if it was like, you know, uh, you know something like Guar, they would think was super awesome if they played a Guar music video. But then if they played, you know, an ABBA music video, they'd be like, uh, what's this? This is this is lame, Beavis. You probably like it, you know? And, and so they'd kind of give their their scathing commentary on whatever videos were were being played on the animated show. And in this case, the the the, the main concept was the same. They were still gonna provide commentary, but they had kind of these original 
like one or two page kind of Marvel comics, like like kind of like they were reading Marvel comics, and you got to look at them give commentary on a few pages of a Marvel comic. Almost vintage in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, like the the first thing you you end up seeing is there's a a Man Thing page that's done by Neil Hansen. And and it's like, oh, so Beavis and Butthead are watching or, or, or reading. I mean, I see, that's the thing that I thought was kind of funny is I know it's like, it's tough to suspend your disbelief that like Beavis and Butthead can actually like read, but it's like you just sort of have to go along with it. Like, I mean, they're in school. They must be able to read a little bit, right? Like, I know they're complete morons, but they, they probably can read a little bit. So you kind of have to go along with it. And so I, I would imagine uh, Mr. Van Driessen was, was, uh, uh, reading it to them <laughs> right right or, or whatever so so you're like okay fine but you know I, I i think it's kind of amusing that like like you know beavis is kind of like you know man thing is cool because his nose looks like a wiener <laughs> you know it's like oh okay so so beavis likes the man thing because he thinks his nose looks like a giant penis or whatever you know so it's like you know so and of course giant sized man thing you know they think it's the coolest title for a comic book ever you know, and so they're doing this this commentary on the various comics, but then we kind of cut back to the the burger world, and there's some fat lady who's all upset that there's a slug in her milkshake, and then she demands them to make another milkshake and everything. And there's this gag where you know Butthead will only fulfill the order if they give him the order number as opposed to telling him you know exactly what they want. And in the meantime, there's these characters from the TV show these kind of prison escapees that are, you know, basically they've they've escaped prison, they're on the run from the cops and everything, and they, like, toss a grenade into a squad car that explodes, and, of course, they're on their way to Burger World. And so then there's a, a Stan Lee cameo, where Stan Lee apparently is eating some of these Burger World meals with a thing in the background, and these two convicts come in, and they, they essentially, like, you know, Butthead kind of gives them the same routine about, you know, he's on a break, he can't take their order, and then they, they grab him by the neck, and he basically is being strangled to death, and then when he gives them the routine about ordering by a number, you know, the, the one guy, like, basically punches him, he pokes his eyes, and, like, looks like he kind of, like, breaks his hand, essentially, and so then, you know, Butthead takes the order, and then the manager comes in and sees Butthead being smacked around and ends up getting, like, knocked out by, I guess, I don't know, like, another book or the cash register or some shit. And, oh, no, no, it's the videotape. It's the videotape of fucking the incredible Mr. Limpet. And that apparently is large enough, this VHS tape is large enough to lay out the, uh, the Burger World manager or whatever. And so then, then you know, basically they're asking for ketchup for their fries and then when Butthead leads them to the ketchup, he sprays it in their eyes. The the prison guy, like, falls into the fryer with the hot grease. So basically, like, it's like a scene out of frickin' Fist of the North Star or something where the guy's, like, you know, basically filleted his face and everything. And, of course, again, Butthead thinks it's, like, war and thinks it's cool. And then I think Beavis, Beavis, like, squishes a hot apple pie in the other guy's face and kind of burns him and by then like these these kind of you know hot-blooded police guys come in with you know all the weapons in the books and they you know they they take care of these guys that have already been kind of 
you know, knocked out by Beavis and Butthead, and they sort of, you know, they, they're like, we can't, you know, sanction vigilante actions, boys, but you did good work, you know, or whatever. And, and the manager's about to fire them, but then the cop talks them out of it, and basically, like, that's kind of the end of the issue. And then the, the main reason why we're here, of course, is to discuss the, the star, the theme star of this podcast, but they now cut to essentially Beavis and Butthead almost wanking it to a Spider-Man comic book because you've got John Romita doing, like, Mary Jane in the sexiest lingerie ever, and then, you know, she's just sitting around in her, you know, underwear, and Beavis and Butthead are just like, dude, like, why is, like, Spider-Man out fighting bad guys when he could be, like, hitting it with this chick? Like, what, what the hell's wrong with Spider-Man, dude? You know, and Beavis is kind of like my spider sense is tingling. You know, so they're 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 being horn dogs about Mary Jane, and what's kind of interesting about it is like then the next page, it's like they they you know cut to Spider Man, and then Spider Man's being attacked by Carnage, and of course our boy Venom. So you know, and and what's kind of hilarious about it is maybe it's meta commentary in in more than one way. It's like I'm talking about Kid and Play and Beavis and Butthead on a podcast about Venom, but even Beavis and Butthead are like super disappointed because they're you know getting into you know Mary Jane you know looking all scantily clad and everything, and they feel like the Venom and Carnage fight with Spider-Man has now interrupted their enjoyment of that. So they kind of determine that Venom and Carnage kind of suck because. They want to go back to the red-headed chick who was super hot, and they toss the comic. Like, so, that's kind of funny. It's like, it's like they, they would rather see Mary Jane than Venom and Carnage. And that's kind of where I'm going to end it. I mean, I don't think there's any reason to talk about the second half of the story with Daria and, and the other stupid little kid. But, I mean, you know, like I said, I was, I was definitely buying this off the stand for various reasons. I think, too, if you go on my DeviantArt page, I probably tried to draw that panel of Mary Jane, not the first one, but that second one where she's kind of holding herself and like, like sort of like, you know, leaning into the couch or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I tried to, you know, do a, a replication of that and that might even be on my DeviantArt page at some point, or I'm pretty sure it is on my DeviantArt page somewhere. Anyway, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, uh, this is not, I don't know, to me, this is kind of like, typical fare for Beavis and Butthead. I think Tony was saying he thought it was a little more violent than the show, or maybe a little more, had a, a little more scope than the TV show. Like, I think we were kind of discussing how maybe that car chase is a little more Beavis and Butthead do America, like a little more cinematic than maybe the, the, the regular TV show and stuff. But I mean, you know, I don't know if you guys want to get into particulars with Beavis and Butthead, or if you just want to talk about the funny, you know, John Romita you know, cutscene or what have you, but, you know, feel free to chime in on your thoughts on uh, Beavis and Butthead. Um, I, I will say again, I thought you lost your goddamn mind. <laughs> well, at least at least this makes more sense, because Venom's not even, like, on the cover. Like, what what did you think? Yeah. The, the, tell them what you thought was going to happen. Uh, well, well, recently I thought this was, like, going to be, like, an Archie versus Punisher thing. Or, or something like that. I thought, like, Venom was going to come to town, and Eddie Brock's <laughs> going to fuck with, like, Beavis and Butthead. That, that shit does happen in Marvel. And I was like, oh, this is what it's going to be. And I was not completely familiar with the Beavis and Butthead comic. I didn't know they did this in the comic where they would look at old, quote-unquote, characters. Right, right. 
but they would they would they would just look at snippets that were new like you know panels and just like make commentary on them the remedial artwork is great honestly i will say out of all the four issues we've done this night that's probably the best venom that is a badass venom like he looks, he look, yeah. You know, you know what's funny about that is I, I kind of feel like because I've always pointed to like this is John Romita Senior, right? And like it's interesting yeah. seeing him cater to the, you know, McFarlane house style of the day. Because to me, when you yeah. say Romita Spider Man, you think of the 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 smaller eye slits for Spider Man, and you think of the you know the Mary Jane Watson. You know, you just hit the jackpot tiger like that haircut. Like, oh, and, Mary Jane Watson looks amazing in this. Yeah. But, but I, I just think it's funny that like he's drawing her with the whole, you know, McFarlane Eric Larson hairdo. Like that's I, yeah. I can't think of too many times when when Romita Senior drew Spider Man with the big McFarlane eyes and Mary Jane with that, you know, that kind of. I I don't know what to call it, but compared to you know her rate, you know she doesn't have the Firestar hairstyle from the Amazing Friends cartoon. Yeah. She's got this kind of luxurious, you know, Vidal Sassoon, you know, McFarlane Larson hairstyle, you know, that's all curly and and you know lush and everything. So like that's something that you know it's I I think not only is it like a cool couple panels, but it's it's kind of historically unusual. You know, which I I kind of find fascinating. Yeah, and, and, and like uh, like seeing that like that those panels with Carnage and Venom and Spidey is like I, I almost want that senior like look for that book because it's like that would have been awesome. I love Eric Larson. I love Mark Bagley, Tom McFarlane. Whatever you think of him, he's a good artist. I don't have any problem with him. But man, that that was that was that was some good art. That was that was like some good stuff. Like the man thing, that was a good art, like piece, you know, for that time era. It's very indicative. It's like that little like sixties, seventies swamp thing, and Ramita Seniors looked like nineties stuff. Like he said, that house style, and it was really kind of evocative and like really in- interesting. And I will give you a pass, Derek, because like twelve pages in, I was like the fuck are you thinking man it's just beavis and butthead and there you go here's venom you did deliver on the promise of a venom <laughs> appearance it's like so i can't say you lost your goddamn mind you just you you played us very well like, i'm not i'm not crazy after all clarence uh, venom really did get his wings right <laughs> but but uh yeah but yeah yeah i i, I thought it was fun i thought that, that was a that was a fun little uh throw in for for a beavis and butthead issue which was and also as far as the uh cinematic thing i i think that that first story was something you couldn't do in animation because we were talking about this like budgets you know constraints like for a, a tv show you couldn't do that for a movie you could and we were talking about how you couldn't afford that because in a comic, you can just draw that. You pay someone to draw panels, and they 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 have that freedom to draw whatever they want. In animation, you have to have like you know, we want this, we want this. Flintstones, Scooby Doo, even newer co- cartoons, you know, have reused backgrounds. With a comic, you really can go hog wild. You can draw whatever you want if the artist is willing. So yeah, that is totally true. It's kind of funny, you know, the the friend I mentioned who was, like, hugely into Spider-Man, like, 
he was also buying a lot of these cartoon titles from Marvel. Like he was buying Beavis and Butthead comics, and he was also buying like Ren and Stimpy and Rocco's Modern Life because he was like, you know, he was a big fan of that kind of stuff. Like he was a huge Ren and Stimpy fan. Like he could he could sit down and like like perfectly mimic any kind of like Ren and Stimpy image. And like he got to where he could like do a pretty good mimic of like mcfarlane and larson spider-man like but but he was just like a huge fan of like weird cartoons like that and i remember reading a lot of his like Mar uh, rocco's modern life comics because i really liked that cartoon and I, I don't know i was never really huge crazy about like ren and stimpy i i did like beavis and butthead and i remember reading some of his beavis and butthead comics i never read this one though so this was this was new to me and the first thing i was like ah about was like the whole thing with the rat and they were like putting it in a deep fryer. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, oh man, like, <laughs> like, oh geez. I, um, I always, I always kind of thought Beavis and Butthead are like really fun to watch, but you would never, I mean, I've probably said this before on the podcast, but you would never want to encounter them in real life, you know? Oh like, yeah. 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 <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Beavis, you gotta get a whiff of this. <laughs> ah! <coughs> no way, butthole! <laughs> cool. But uh, like, as for the, um, you know, the Spider-Man part of this, like, I, I thought it was kind of funny because, like, uh, I could clearly like hear them saying all their lines in my head and their voices and everything. I was just like, oh, this is, this is pretty funny, <laughs> especially when, uh, when they're like, uh, like you know. Like, look at her thingies. And then, like, when I was like, he's like, I'm gonna shoot my web fluid. And I was just like, oh my god. I'm like, I, I can't, I can't, you know, like, I can't fault it because I, I kind of feel like I have that same attitude. Like, why, why would Spider-Man be out fighting when, when he has this big boob chick at home? I'm like, I'm like, butthead, you know, like every once in a while he has these like nuggets of genius where you're like, no, dude, butthead. Butthead has a point. <laughs> they may be I, they may be a pair of stupid idiots, but every once in a while you're like, well, wait a minute, like that. Th this is exactly what I'm thinking. Like, if you if you had Mary Jane at home, why would you why would you not be home with that instead of risking your life every night? You know. See, like I I can picture a scene in a Spider-Man comic now of like Peter's having some kind of like you know crisis for whatever reason. And he's like he's mentally talking to Uncle Ben, and Uncle Ben's like you know, giving him all the old speech, you know, great power and whatnot. And then like, Peter looks over to the left and he sees Beavis and Butthead, and they're just like, huh, screw that, go home to your wife with the big thingies. And Peter's like, oh yeah, I should do that. <laughs> I love how they just rip out the page with MJ on yeah, it and yeah. then toss the rest of the fucking comic. So I'm like, like we'll so save genius. this for later fuck fuck maximum carnage why don't why don't you go score with your wife or something <laughs> <laughs> why are you fighting the kangaroo like <laughs> step right up get one boob massaged and the other one's free yeah. and your butt too three for the price of one but yeah i was like when I first saw like the MJ picture, I was like, "Oh wow, that's like a good like approximation of her from that era." And I'm like, you know, whoever's doing the art on this is like like good. And I was like, John Romita did this? Like, holy crap! Like, okay. I was like, no wonder it's good. 
yeah, it's it's probably like the best thing in the whole in the whole book. As as for the rest of it, yeah, like I was just I was gonna say, it, it, I mean, it's fun to w- watch Beavis and Butthead, but I don't know about like reading about them. Like I I could hear their voices, but I don't know. It, it was just kind of like it's hard to follow. Like I I I have trouble reading like like Simpsons comics and stuff like that. Like the comedic timing sometimes isn't quite like there. I guess if you have to. Yeah. Re- I remember like buying quite a few Simpsons comics when they were first like coming out, and I, I think for a while I was just like, I just liked the idea of having a Simpsons comic because I was such a huge fan. But after a while, like I kind of stopped buying them, kind of for those reasons. Like I don't know, like I I never had that problem with like the Rocco's Modern Life comics, but like some stuff like I don't know some of those Beavis and Butthead issues, and then like some of those Simpsons comics, I was just like. I don't know, like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't quite picture it in my head, even though I was reading it, like, you know, sometimes like this, you want to picture it in your head and do the voice and stuff, like, sometimes it just, there was like a disconnect or something. Some, sometimes it's just hard to capture that, I mean, maybe it's, yeah. it's like, that you, you try to capture the voice of it, but then it's also, I mean, comedy's a timing thing, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's tough, like, I mean, I think, I think some of this is like, they, they captured what worked about the comedy of Beavis and Butthead, which is kind of simple. It's like they are watching music videos and then they say funny shit. Like, it's not that difficult to have them. I mean, you know, essentially you've got these awesome Ramita senior panels of Mary Jane looking hot, but then you've got this almost Tomino-esque, you know, like pilot shot of Beavis and Butthead, you know, these little clips within the Ramita panels of them giving the funny commentary. And I think, I think that in and of itself, like sort of captures essentially the humor of Beavis and Butthead, like what worked for them originally. And it's not like, I don't know, like, like, I I mean, I I don't know if I've read enough Simpsons comics to, to comment on it, but like, sometimes you just don't capture that, that timing or that, that, you know, what, what originally made something funny in, in a different medium. I wonder if any kid read this and was like, I'm going to put a dead rat in a fryer. Like, that's a good idea. See, you know what's funny about that is, uh, I don't know if we need to get too deep into this, but it's like, I mean, I remember when there were people kind of out crying. You know, it's like, oh, a kid started a fire because Beavis and Mm -hmm. Butthead, you know, Beavis was all into fire and all that stuff. And like, I mean, you know, without getting too deep and heavy into the politics of it, you know, I've always been kind of of two minds on it. I mean, it's, it's easy to say... Like, well, look, if somebody set a building on fire, they clearly had more problems than Beavis and Butthead, right? Like, that's that's probably the easy approach and, and, and you know, mindset to have. But then again, you know, like, I, I've always kind of gone on record about this, but it's like, I'm like, if fucking James Doohan can take credit for saving people from committing suicide and, you know, inviting fans to come back every year so they don't kill themselves because... Somehow James Dewan's the only one keeping them going. I'm kind of like, well, if you're going to take credit for that, then you kind of have to take credit for setting the building on fire. So it's either one or the other. Like you can't you can't take credit for just the good stuff you did, and then not worry about the negative influence you had on people. It's like you know I don't know I I always kind of think that's sketchy. It's like it's like if you if you if you portray something like say uh I don't know violent culture or drug culture or whatever it is is like you know, super attractive and cool. It's like, well, 
then you probably contributed to people partaking in that, right? If you, if you, you know, have, uh, you know, Mary Jane looking sexy and then you get mad at me for liking sexy chicks. Well, you've contributed to that, right? Like somehow. So it's like, it's like, you can't just like, oh, well, dude, like uh, I, I wash my hands of all the bad things that I've contributed to. But since I, since I did some good things and made some kids happy at a hospital, well, I'm the man, you know, like, I'm like, I don't know. That's kind of funny to me. I don't know if that's too deep for this Beavis and Butthead talk and Venom talk, but, you know, <laughs> that's just, that's it's been my, that's kind of my, my take on things. We're going deep. Going deep. <laughs> Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Fire and Water Podcast, celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... All right, guys. Well, this has been our Fanholes Fright Fest kickoff with comics, motherfucker. Do you read them? And this is kicked off with, of course, the super scary alien symbiote, symbiote Venom from the nether regions of planet Clintar, which sounds like a goddamn Simpsons reference if I've ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> and and so planet Clintar. <laughs> so anyway, Eddie Brock died on the way back to his own planet. His own planet of Clintar. Poor Eddie. So yeah. So we we hope you've enjoyed listening to this. I know. I know. I've kind of gone out on on a limb with with Venom titles. I hope people that are are true Venom fanboys like like our boy Luke Jack and Eddie aren't too disappointed that we've gone into the the crazy obscura with with Venom appearances. But we, we do have some classic ones in there, the Iron Man and the Amazing Spider-Man 2 to sort of balance it out. But yeah, this is this is what's going to kick off Fanholes Fright Fest. We hope you continue listening for the rest of the month because we're going to have a bunch of other Fanholes Fright Fest themed shows for you for the entire month of October to tie into Halloween. And if you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can email them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We're on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com, where you can find the backlog of all of our episodes. We're on all kinds of social media, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes, shares, retweets, hearts, follows, etc. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike, and listen to us or I'll crush your brain into crimson grease. And this is Justin, signing off. And this is Tony. I'm a, I'm a big dude. I'm a big caca poo poo duty head. <laughs> I'm Tony, and I'm totally caca poo poo duty head. You ruined everything. I was at the top of my field, but journalist, controversialist, but talent was real. Then I found my opportunity, the sunny to squeal. So I wrote a story about it with this person revealed. But you had to show up, made me look stupid, had my life blow up. All because of you, kid. You caught the real perp. I was discredited.
my wife and my relatives. Now all I have is revenge and anger. Hate in my heart break with the weight of an anchor. I just want the Spider-Man to feel a pain greater. But I'm just a man. Maybe if I say a prayer, then he will listen. But I got to the church and was met with another higher power at work. It's black dark, but I felt the light. It says, listen to us. We can help you fight. Let us take you. Expand your mind. We are venom together now. Paths align. The world is mine. And it can be yours in time. And we're climbing to the top when our worlds combine. We are venom. Here to expand your mind. We are venom together now. Paths align. We are venom. I'm telling you the world is mine. And we're climbing to the top when our worlds combine. Listen here, Bob. Take notes from a symbiote. Spider-Man, you're gonna need more than a frilly coat. I can guarantee killing both Spider-Man and friendly neighborhood silly hope. I was outcast, Spider-Man left, but he led me to you. Found indirectly, he didn't get me, but I can tell that you're deadly. And together we can make him wish that he kept me. You and I, Brock, we can get vengeance. I know you have anger, now you need presence. I'm the executioner that carries out the sentence, and you can be my vessel while I wrestle in the bitter end. We are us and you are now we and you. Found me, you weak without me, but you can now free to move your rowdy. The truth will now be what we allow, please. Let us take you, expand your mind. We are venom together now. Paths align, the world is mine. And it can be yours in time. And we're climbing to the top when our worlds combine. We are venom, here to expand your mind. We are venom together now. Paths align, we are venom. I'm telling you, the world is mine. considering getting like the venom select to keep it sort of on topic but i never did get the venom select yeah the venom select was there uh which one though uh is there uh, multiple ones because i think the one i saw had like the multiple head thing going on yeah yeah you can remove that oh okay so you can make him just normal okay yeah, yeah that yeah, might yeah. be kind of cool to get yeah Okay. Cool. The only uh, select, the only select I have is the Chitari soldier from uh, like Avengers, and my old roommate got me him as a joke. So. I, I see some people like army build those, like they've got those in their like cinematic displays, like they got like two or three I, of them. I mean, to, to be fair, they are kind of big in the movie, so I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's we, don't even, we don't even need the real tone for that. <laughs> we don't even need the real tone. Speak, speaking of Venom and The Simpsons and the same thought, uh, Eddie Brock was voiced by Hank Azaria in the 90s cartoon. Interesting. Super tie-in. Was he, was he, Ed, he was Eddie and Venom? He was both of them. Yeah. Huh. Yep. Okay. He should have just done his Mo voice or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you Spider Man. All right, Spider Man. We're gonna we're gonna beat you, dude. Say say you stubbed my toe in Mo's voice. You stubbed my toe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's like, wait, does that mean that Venom is allergic to flaming moes? Like, is that is that Venom's weakness? Is that what it is? It's like Sp- Spider Man like calls Eddie and he's like, hey, uh, uh, what do you call? It? I need what do you call? It? Is there a Anita bath? There? <laughs> hold on, hold on, we'll check. Anita bath. Anita bath. I always like the uh, uh, Amanda hug and kiss. <laughs> like, I need a man to hug and kiss. Uh, what about like, my, hey, my you... butt freaks? <laughs> is that is that like Venom's updated untold origin? Like Spider Man just kept prank calling him, and then that's why he turned evil. He bonded yeah, with the symbiote. Motivation than he actually has. Yeah, that's why he. That's why he really got his toes up the edge. I hope that's a scene in this new movie. Like that's that's the Peter Parker cameo. He like he just keeps prank calling like Eddie Brock, and it's like, you know, he's like, uh, I'm looking for Amanda Hug and Kiss. He's like, uh, what? We should just be like, Tony, we recorded your outro without you. You can trust us. <laughs> it sounds just like you. I did a good impression of you. <laughs> well, seriously, though, I, I understood Venom better than I understood Doctor Who, so I'm, I'm okay with that. If you say so. I was I was kind of confused. I had to listen to it a couple times. There, I was like, "Did he just call him a turd?" Like, okay. <laughs> so, so me and Justin were talking about this last night. Are you going to go see Venom in the theater, Mike? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I will. Okay. I mean, I, I don't know how good it's going to be. No, I'm, like, I, I mean, don't I don't really have. I, I don't have. But... I don't have super high expectations or anything, but I, I think I'll go watch it. I'll wear my Spawn T-shirt. Nice. <laughs> Actually, I think I might have a black suit Spider-Man t-shirt in my closet somewhere. I have a black uh, Spider-Man jersey. I guess that wouldn't even be appropriate, because it's like it doesn't even tie into Spider-Man, it seems like. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't have the spider emblem in any of the shots. He he looks more like the ultimate Venom, where he's just a bunch of gobbledygook, right? He's just a gobbledygook. Yep. Aren't you reading Ultimate Spider-Man, Justin? No, I kind of quit reading it. Uh, oh wait, the uh, oh you mean the early Bendis stuff? Yeah, I kind of like put that on pause because. Uh, uh, I guess I yeah. guess what Mike is wondering is, did you get up to Gobbledygook Venom before you put it on pause? Oh, no, yeah. no, no. Okay. Um, uh, what was the last thing that happened? Shoot, uh, let me look. I'm, I'm, I bet they talked about food and I mean, there was rambling. You, you at least got to issue thirteen because you were you're cracking up about that awesome kingpin like Oh uh thing. last issue I read was eighteen. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah, that denim stuff. What what is that? Like in the thirties? Like when does that happen? Yeah, or just I think it's yeah, because the the green goblin comes right, back right, in the right, twenties. Right, so, right, yeah. yeah. I I think a few issues ago he finally told Mary Jane that oh, okay. Spider Man. Okay. Yeah, that's 13, I think, so. So what I was going to, what I was going to do was for this, I was going to go in chronological order. So what that means is uh, Tony's up first, uh, 
Justin is up second, which means I'm up second because I already told Justin I'd take care of the kid and play thing. And uh, then and then uh, and then Mike's up third, and then I'll be last with the Beavis and Butthead comic. So that's that's what it would be in terms of order. So everybody's kind of ready for that, I guess. Um, but any anything else? Any other concerns and or questions? We um, want to eat your brains. Uh, the venom. <laughs> I want to eat your brain. This is, this is so wacky, yo. It, it is. It really is. <laughs> it is entirely whack. All right. Hey, guys! Oh, you know what I should ask before we start? Is anybody <laughs> recording a backup of this? Like, because I'm recording right now, but is anybody doing, like, a backup just in case things No, I need, I need to find myself a new recorder because my Pamela won't work with this new Right, stick. right. A Molto works. I mean, I, I bought it for Justin, so... It does work. Hold on, and I'll start it. Okay. I'll go back up. If your recording stays, Derek, please keep that. Hey, guys, hold on, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>